Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we would please like to ask for your guys' support. All you have to do is subscribe to us on the Apple Podcast app and leave a five-star rating and review. That goes a long way in maintaining the consistency and quality of this podcast moving forward. And also, it just lets us know that you're listening, and we love to know that you're listening. So thanks for your support, and yeah, go hit that five-star rating and review button. And now... On with the showtime. Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where when it sprains, it pours. I mean rains. And man, has it been spraining in Lakers Nation. From inaction at the trade deadline, to back and forth jabs between the front office and clutch, to Anthony Davis unfortunately going down with a midfoot sprain that could potentially cost him the rest of this season, to LeBron James hinting that his Lakers exit may be near. Woo boy, I forgot what I was going to punch that with. Hot dog. Uh, hot dog, woo boy. <laughs> kingdom come, more like kingdom crumble. There you go. I just came up hey. with that off the dome. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Welcome back from a very eventful NBA All-Star weekend. Very eventful in many more ways than one, except for the dunk contest. Um LeBron James put on a masterclass in Cleveland, both on and off the court, by hitting the turnaround fadeaway game winner in the All-Star game, and then off the court by also putting the full-court press on the Lakers' front office to get their shit together, or else he's walking. Uh, Tommy, outside of all the extracurricular drama, though, was there anything actual All-Star Liddy related that you took out of the All-Star weekend, or did you even watch any of the events? So I actually, as I've gotten like older and more jaded in my life, now I, as I've gotten older, though, I seriously, it's harder and harder for me every year to pay attention to this stuff. I will say, I did watch. I didn't watch the game. I watched the highlights. I watched the Saturday night. Um, my only commentary on the on <laughs> everything. <laughs> I'm not going to do the obvious. Like, the dunk contest is dead, right? Because they say that every like. And they say that, like, I would say 80% of the years. And one out of every five years, it's really good. And everyone's like, it's back. And then it's just, no, it's just good one every one out of every five times. But the new skills challenge format, I was kind of amused by. I actually kind of like that because it makes it more competitive when you're on a team. Like, you don't want to let your other guys down. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed, again, I think the all-star game has succeeded among all pro sports in like their all-star or whatever equivalent they have with this new format where in the fourth quarter, it's like you're playing to that set number to win the game. Like that is just, whoever came up with this needs like a promotion. Cause it, whatever, you know, it, it really is the case that it's like, yeah, the guys can have fun. They can put on a show. They do it for the fans, not get hurt for like the first three quarters. And then, Everybody actually does try at the end, and it's kind of fun watching these guys actually try. I mean, of course, it's a game that doesn't really matter, but all you want to see... I'm not saying, like, you know, take intentional fouls, right? Like, nobody wants to see that. It's an all-star game, but just try to, you know, show some effort, and and so... I was entertained by that, so those were my comments on on the all-star game. Yeah, I think any time you can have 
a period of, period of time, even if it's just like five minutes where there are stakes on the line. I mean, that's what sports is about, right? And I, I remember when I first got into the NBA, the, the, the first real NBA All-Star game that really got me hooked to All-Star Weekend Extravaganza, and it probably set my expectations and the bar for me way too high, was the 2001 Allen Iverson like MVP All-Star game. That was when like you know, yeah. every, everybody was wearing their own respective team jerseys, and like Kobe yeah, Bryant was lob- go back to that. Yeah, I mean, Kobe Bryant was lobbing it off the glass to Kevin Garnett. You know, that was the the yeah. the Lakers were repeating that year, but that was like one of the most fun NBA All Star weekends because and All Star games because at the end of that game, like Allen Iverson, Kobe Bryant, Stephon Marbury were literally trading shot after shot with each other, and then Kobe Bryant would be going down the on the other end trying to lock up the the best player. And so it's been a while since we've had that sort of true competitive nature in the all-star game as t as players have tried to you know conserve themselves a little bit more and and been a little bit more judicious with their injuries and health and whatnot so even just having like you said that five minutes of okay you don't you you don't have to go all out but apart from the the last three quarters where all you've been doing is showboating and shooting like half court shots here are five minutes where you should actually care and the players actually do care and and uh, take up to that challenge so yeah i mean the the LeBron James shot was obviously you couldn't have scripted it any better Hollywood style even though he may leave Hollywood soon who knows we'll get to that um, but yeah <laughs> with regards to the the Saturday events um, the dunk contest the Cole Anthony just wearing uh, Tim Tim's is just a poor yeah. choice and if I was the Orlando Magic front office I would never allow that to happen like I know he injured his thumb on his second dunk and it wasn't related to the I first know, dunk was, but yeah. having someone try and dunk in Timberlands that's just asking and waiting for an injury to happen so it's just stupid yeah. I wouldn't allow that to happen um I thought the three-point contest was very entertaining just seeing a big man like Cat just absolutely robotically stroke it Carl Anthony Towns look like one of those Japanese robots. They just keep hitting because he doesn't, he barely jumps <laughs> off his feet, you know? It's like all wrist. Yeah. And yeah, it's incredible what he can do. Um, but yeah, outside of that, yeah, I think at this point, most more times than not, it's the three point contest that becomes like the main event of Saturday night because no matter what, you're going to have like a good shooter in. Um, Saturday's events, like Luke Kennard randomly got hot too, and it actually came down to the wire. But. Regardless, enough of that All-Star Weekend talk because a lot of what dominated All-Star Weekend as far as it pertains to Lakers fans are LeBron James' comments, the back and forths between Rob Palenka, Clutch, and then Eric Pincus came out with the article um, the other day just talking about how Clutch is actually very unhappy that uh, Palinka did not pull the trigger on a Russell Westbrook trade to Houston. We're not sure what the specific parameters of that deal is. All we know is it's Russell Westbrook for John Wall and a, and a future first-round pick. We don't even know if it's the 2027 first. That's likely what it was going to be. But regardless, there's a lot going on. And I think this was all kind of set off by... Palenka sort of white lying slash lying, which he has been prone to do all the way back to talking about how Kobe Bryant met up with Heath Ledger, (laughs) which never happened, but he just misconstrued or misunderstood uh, what Kobe told him. But anyways, Palenka has this habit of maybe taking a nugget of truth and totally spinning it out of control and turning it into essentially a a lie, you know? So what he said after the, the trade deadline was that LeBron James and Anthony Davis were in alignment with him not making any moves. I think for, I think what he was trying to get at was they probably all had a discussion and Palenka said, you know, if I can't come to, you know, yeah. a fair deal, then we're just going to have to stand pat. And yep. I think the way that he phrased it was that, oh, they're, they're, they're in alignment with me not making any moves without taking into account of the fact that, no, they're probably very unhappy that you weren't able to find a deal and, and, and make yes. any moves. I feel like yeah, go ahead. Not, not to interrupt you, but I felt like you know people did take his comment like too literally, and may, and I think Clutch was responding to the most literal interpretation, right? Which was, I don't think Rob was trying to say. I was sitting in the room with AD and LeBron, and I told them I'm not going to do this specific trade, and they were like, "Yeah, that's fine." That's like not how this works, obviously, right? It's I think what he was trying to say was kind of what you said, which is look. This is our what we're trying to do. If we have anything specific, maybe we'll talk to you. But 
you know, we're not going to do anything to mortgage the future for what we don't view to be like a substantial short-term gain. And they were probably all like, yeah, that sounds reasonable. I think that's all he was trying to say, you know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah. And, and it got, it got just kind of blown out of proportion. But I think regardless of what Palenka says, one could assume that even if Palenka pulled out all the stops and whatever. It's just human nature that LeBron James and Anthony Davis would be disappointed, right? That nothing happened, as as was most of Lakers Nation. And so I think that that sour feeling and sentiment in the air has kind of all come to a head with, well, one, Anthony Davis's, Davis's injury, and we'll get to that in the second half of our show and just get your thoughts on that. But it's been like a snowball shit show <laughs> of uh, craziness and while things may have gotten blown out of proportion by clutch or whatever, I think LeBron James made his feelings fairly well known. I don't even think it in a passive-aggressive way, even though I do believe that the media has blown his comments and statements this weekend out of proportion. It is very clear that, one, he's unhappy with the lack of movement. I think all of us are. And as I mentioned to you off air, uh, let's not have all of this, the the drama surrounding All-Star Weekend take away from the fact that the Lakers have still literally done jack squat. <laughs> they haven't done anything to improve their roster whatsoever. So um, if that doesn't tell you, if that doesn't tell you the state of Lakers nation right now, uh, I don't know what does. But regardless, um, LeBron James made it very clear he's, you know, he is open about his future. And it's not, he's not committed past his current contract to the Lakers. And he was kind of going off the, off the cuff and, and letting bullets fly, you know, even though it was mostly, I don't know, frivolous comments about, you know, maybe coming back to Cleveland and, you know, playing with his son with all statements that he said before. But I think you combine that with him talking about other GMs, whether it's the Rams GM for giving up picks to win now and then contradicting himself the very next statement by talking about Sam Presti and how he has all these picks and all this homegrown talent. Essentially, right. he was just saying there are a lot of great GMs and I'm not going to talk about Rob Polinka right now because he literally has done nothing yet. And DeAndre Jordan is still on this roster. Yeah, I think also coinciding with that is all of the articles that have come up to sort of, I guess, shed a little bit more light on the trade deadline, people's sentiments, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the miscommunication that's going on between Clutch and Palinka, because even if you're if you want to say that things are being overblown, I think it's clear that there are some it's clear that they're not communicating with each other and until the dust is settled there, we're going to continue to get these barbs back and forth and no productivity is going to get done. Um, but where coming out of the, the weekend, where do you stand on on all of all of that? Um, because I, I think for me, it kind of boils down to mistakes were made, Tommy. I mean, mistakes were made <laughs> everywhere. So yeah. we've said this many times. Everyone shares in the blame. And I think everyone's follow-up actions of their own to the mistakes that were made is sort of justifiable for each individual party. Optics-wise, it does not look great that it seems like parties are throwing each other under the bus and pointing the finger at other people. That's definitely not great. But at the end of the day, I think everyone's just trying to achieve the same goal, <laughs> and that is to get ourselves out of this mess starting this offseason this summer. Because we yeah. can't do anything this year, and we literally have not done anything. Um, so all signs are pointing to this pivotal offseason where the rubber really meets the road. And I think what LeBron James is doing, and as many people have already pointed out, is he's just trying to apply pressure to the front office this offseason. He's pushing P. He's pushing P, whatever the hell that means. He's pushing pressure? Is that what he was trying to say? I think so. Okay, and this is this makes us sound so old, by the way, all the people. But I'm pretty sure pushing the interesting thing about what he said, right? If you want to take the conspiracy theorist angle of this, but he said push and pee, which is that song, right? Which I think, if you look it up on Urban Dictionary, means he was trying to he's trying to apply pressure. But the interesting thing is. Rob Palinka in the his tights in his close circle is known as P. They like call like Kobe's kids call him Uncle P. Jeannie oh. calls him P. And I feel like nobody made that connection because probably people weren't thinking about that. They thought he was just re referencing that song that's you know super popular. But um, 
I, I don't know. I don't know if that's what he was referencing. But anyway, he's pushing P. <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, so back to my point. LeBron was trying to apply pressure to the front office, and I don't think the front office needs any more pressure applied to them. They understand, but in case they didn't get the message, that's what that was. And then on Rob's end, the reason why he didn't do anything is, Tommy, is for the sole purpose of doing something this offseason. So if anybody thinks that he withheld the 2027 first so that he can eventually make the pick in 2027, no, he's literally hoarding it for maybe three months so that he can see what he can package that in along with the 2029 first, along with a more, you know, digestible expiring Westbrook contract to see what he can get. So every party wants to do the same thing, which is let's fix this mess and move forward. It's just they're applying pressure in different ways. People are getting butthurt over certain things, and the media obviously isn't helping. So wh- where do you stand on all of this? Because at the end of the day, all of that is great. But to me, and we can get into this too, I am more concerned and worried about who's who owns this team and who's actually in charge with this team. Because until yeah. that gets figured out, this is not going to change. Because at the end of the day... And this is the first time I'm really starting to feel this because who am I to say how, you know, Jeannie Buss spends her money or whatever. But if you're actually in the business of trying to win games and be the best sports team possible, it just objectively hurts you to be cheap. So anyways, your thoughts on all that? Yeah, um, I agree. So I, I do think everybody's aligned, right? At some point, I will say to preface all of my comments, I'm not going to be so accepting of like any more of this, like, well, we all have the same common goal of winning a championship. Okay. Like the Sacramento Kings theoretically have a goal of winning a championship. You can't just say that to like cover all your mistakes. Right. But I, I have to give, I have to throw a little bit of shade here at LeBron because I, I think, you know, again, I, I, I do think ultimately what he said wasn't that bad. And a lot of it was just instant, it was like so quickly misconstrued and so quickly like given false representation on Twitter that, you know, the media is there all weekend. They need something to talk about. So then that became the focus of All-Star Weekend was LeBron and the Lakers. His very first comments when he was asked about Cleveland were immediately misquoted, right? Like they asked him about you know, what do you think about Cleveland having two all-stars? And his response said, you know, he was quoted as saying the Cavs have three all-stars, you know, Garland, uh, Allen, and me. But what he really said was Cleveland has three all-stars or two all-stars and then was talking about them. And then, you know, they actually have three all-stars because me too, you know, like I'm from Cleveland. The whole narrative is about how he's from Cleveland. Yeah, it's like if that, Kobe so that, said that, that in Philadelphia the, or something. Exactly. It like set the set the tone for the and how everything was going to be construed the entire weekend. Okay. So that was already kind of nonsense. Um, but that said, LeBron James is a leader. Okay. And this team, I don't know what's going to happen with AD out for potentially you know, if not the rest of the season, then probably up until the last two or three games of the season. Um, It's going to be very, very difficult for this team to make the playoffs, okay? And the only way they're going to make the playoffs is if they basically play the final 24 games the same way they played those last two after the trade deadline against the Warriors and against Utah. And they're going to have to do that for 24 games straight. And they have not done that for two consecutive games this entire season. So... As the leader of the team, you can't be going out there and, like, everybody knows what you're doing, right? Like, nobody takes the media seriously. Like, you know what I mean? He knows he's stirring the pot and trying to be controversial and trying to put a little pressure on the front office, whatever. But he also knows he's not leaving, okay? And and he also knows the impact that this could potentially have. You know, there's already so many distractions on this Lakers roster, and yeah, they're a veteran team, but, like... You don't want to, like, he himself said there's, like, a cloud over this team or whatever, however, a fog or however he described it, you know, after that Portland loss. Um, and to go from that to then contribute further to, you know, creating more of a fog and further clouding up the air, that's, like, to me, extremely irresponsible and not good team leadership. Again, I don't actually think he said anything that bad, but he knows what he was doing. Like, he was, like... 
when the, even about the Cle- like would you go back to play uh, play in Cleveland or would you ever think about coming back? If you actually watch what he said, okay, and again, this is just gets misrepresented because the media has nothing better to do except generate try to generate clicks. He said, "I don't know. Yeah, I would would never rule it out. I don't know if I'd be playing or what, you know." So. He basically was just trying to say, like, I'll never say never. I don't know. Maybe I'll come back yeah, when I'm yeah. 50 years old and, like, a front office position. I don't know, you know? And and maybe he shouldn't have said it. Maybe it's an inappropriate time to bring it up. But, like, also, it was misconstrued. But, you know, I just felt like he kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it because he saw what his comments were doing. He's very tuned into this stuff, and he liked it. And so, anyway, I, I just kind of thought that, like, that was a little bit irresponsible. I mean, but... On the other hand, what he's saying is not wrong. And if the net result of this is actually LeBron and Clutch apply enough pressure on the front office to do sm- to make smart basketball decisions, and that's what this team needed, then that's fine. You know what I mean? Because the the front office structure where like we we are the only team in the NBA, I'm pretty sure that you know, has a, I can't remember if Rob's title is officially uh, president of basketball operations or GM. I think it's president of basketball operations now since magic had left, but, Mm -hmm. but, but Kurt Rambis is like a senior basketball advisor, whatever the hell that is. (laughs) Exactly. But I'm saying like, we're the only team that has a, a basketball, a president of basketball operations and no GM. Every team has the exact same structure with two guys. We're the only team that doesn't because we don't want to make Kurt Rambis that, you know, put him in that role. But effectively, that's kind of what he is for us. He's like Rob's advisor who he goes to to, like, talk about this stuff. And that's crazy, okay? Like, this is the best team in the, you know, biggest, most lucrative franchise in the league. We won a championship two years ago where the Lakers, you can talk the talk and whatever, but you need to be, like, going for excellence at every level. You can't hold your coaching staff to, you know, one – um one degree of expectation and, and on the other hand though, be like, well, we're just going to keep our friends in the front office. You can't be like, we're going to like dump picks and trade players who we, we don't like, or, you know, Dennis Schroeder, things didn't work out. We didn't like his attitude. We're not going to even bring him back on a minimum deal. Like you can't have that attitude about certain things, but have no accountability in the front office. And so if the net result of all of this LeBron James drama is that the Lakers reassess their priorities in the front office or start to make smart basketball decisions, maybe potentially by putting people in a, in a position to, you know, help out in the front office, then that would be fantastic. I don't know that that's, what's going to happen. But, you know, I guess those two dynamics are what I'm most focused on in, in, in uh, with respect to LeBron's comments from, all-star weekend and and so i'm just sort of waiting to see how they all play out okay so i have a rebuttal to that or a response to that and a lot more to say so we'll take it to break first and when we return we will close this episode out talking more about the rambi rob palenka genie bus etc and also maybe get to anthony davis's injury so we will catch you guys after the turn so you talked about lebron putting pressure on the front office to make some changes and I think a lot of things are happening all at once. One, we can sort of put some blame on LeBron James and Anthony Davis for, you know, pushing the front office to pivot at the last second um, and go for a Russell Westbrook trade instead of a Buddy Heald trade, maybe even a DeMar DeRozan trade or whatever, while also understanding that Rob Palenka didn't necessarily have to do that. You know, it's his job to say yes, no, whatever. If if he's the one who's catering too much to Clutch, then he's at fault, right? Because it's at the end of the day, even if he is Clutch's puppet, that there's a problem there. Um, but regardless, everybody shares in the blame here. And I think even at the lowest common denominator of what LeBron's trying to do, because even with the Russell Westbrook trade, he, like that in and of itself, it's it's been done. But I think problems for this franchise and, and this team have been compounded by the fact that they have just been operating very cheaply. And if if LeBron's right. pressure, if if the pressure LeBron is putting is not even on like make better moves, but just spend more money so that we we can have a margin for error. Then for me, that's a success too, because if if this is trickling all the way up to, it's not even Rob Palenka at this point in terms of make smart moves, because 
every GM is going to make smart moves and every GM is going to make stupid moves. The problem with Rob's situation right now is he doesn't have margin for error, Tommy. Like, he's one capped with the moves that he can make because he can't spend luxury tax on anything, right? So he's already operating at a position of disadvantage in that sense. So he's probably going to make more stupid moves than smart moves. And if he's going to make, if that's going to happen, then his stupid moves are going to look even stupider, if that makes any sense. So if LeBron's pressure is going all the way up to Genie to say, hey, stop being cheap. We did the Russell Westbrook trade. Yes, that was a mistake. But you know what else was a mistake? Not paying luxury tax on re-signing Alex Caruso, right? Yeah. You know what else was a mistake? Not cutting DeAndre Jordan 10 games into the season because we gave him a guaranteed contract and we don't want to sign a new player and pay luxury tax on that player. You know right. You know what else is a mistake? Not doing anything at the trade deadline. And then a week after that, when you don't have the excuse of, oh, well, we need DeAndre Jordan and Kent Bazemore's contracts to call up a, a trade package for salary ballast or whatever. Another mistake is the fact that we still haven't cut any of that dead weight yet. And at least while we may be trying to sort out like what's going to happen in the buyout market or whatever, at least in that interim trial out 10 day contract guys, that's a mistake of being cheap. So at the end of the day, for me, it's not even about, Hey, LeBron's putting pressure on Rob to be smarter or make smarter decisions and moves and, and show us some activity. It's, it's more like, can we get to the, the, the point of all of this, the root root issue of all of this, which is putting pressure on Genie Bus to start acting like a competitive organization and put the cheapness aside. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to tell Genie like, yo, how to spend your money or whatever. If I was in her position too and I wasn't making any revenue off of anything else, yeah, I'd want to be penny pinching as well. But if that really is the issue and she doesn't want to improve her product in whatever way possible i.e the pocketbooks then you know this is the first time i'm saying this and this is the first time i'm come around to this maybe it is time to sell the team i don't think she's going to do that but as a fan who just wants to see the best possible product you can put out there and you know that the best resources are not being put into that product i I think just objectively you're like you always start thinking about what could be if you had like a better, if you had better ownership. Do you have anything else to say on that end? Yeah. The only thing I'll say, so I, I know we're not trying to focus on the relitigating the Russell Westbrook stuff, but I want just one quick comment. We don't, none of us really know what happened with that. Right. And, and, and so I think it's, it's, it is to your point, sort of besides the point to keep going back to it. I mean, somebody, I saw some, someone on Twitter or somewhere online, somebody posted today an article that was from last September um, or maybe last August. It was like right after we we uh, did the Russell Westbrook trade and, and reports at that time were that Russell Westbrook, you know, once it became clear we weren't going to get Chris Paul, once it became clear we weren't going to get Dame, it would like before Buddy healed and all, like all that stuff, it was Russell Westbrook was next and Washington did not want to trade him. Certainly not for the package that we were offering. Okay. And then it's like Russell Westbrook then heard that, you know, which explains sort of the Kuzma thing. Buddy healed was the backup trade basically, which, you know, Kuzma had the comments of like, yeah, I was certain that we were getting traded to Sacramento, but I guess like, but Russ puts a little bit of pressure on the ownership for Washington and said, you know, I'd really like to go home. Can you please be accommodated? And so that's why we ended up giving mm-hmm. the first round pick and all that stuff. But again, putting that aside, I think your general point is a really good one. And and that's the thing that, uh, you know, that it is really the core of the issue. It's not that this team has literally no way of improving. Okay, do we have a way of improving this roster right now, or even at the trade deadline, enough to be a a finals contender? I think the answer to everybody is clearly no. Okay, whether or not AD is playing, frankly. But whether or not AD is playing also, um, there there are things that can be done. I mean, you just look at this roster going down the line here, and there are so many guys who just don't do anything for us, okay? And there are guys who are available. They're not the big-name guys or guys that you've heard of or whatever necessarily, but there are guys who can come in and help, and we are being limited because... We can't waive a guy who is on the books at 1.6 million or 1.7 million to sign another guy who will replace him at 1.7 million because of the luxury tax. And I'm not saying cut half the roster and sign half the roster and incur 40 million dollars of additional luxury tax to, you know, also not win a championship. But again, it 
you know, I don't want to, and I think you're kind of hesitant to make the same point. It's not my money. It's like, I'm not trying to suggest that we are being cheap. We are, I think, paying the fourth highest luxury tax in the NBA this year, despite having, you know, the ninth best record in the West. So we're, we're, we're doing something. It's just that, you know, for better, for worse, whoever made the decision to get Russ made the decision that's done now. And so you're already in luxury tax hell because of that. Okay. But you still have to like try, you know, you have to put your money where your mouth is to some degree in terms of if you're telling everyone you are, the goal is to win a championship. Again, the Sacramento Kings goal is to win a championship. You can't just keep saying that and let that like cover for all your mistakes. DeAndre Jordan would not be on another team in the NBA. You know what I mean? He He's like... He's really not – he's clearly washed. I don't know what's going on with him, but he can't – certainly can't play the kind of defense that Frank wants to play. I mean, Dwight Howard is a lot less washed than DeAndre, and he doesn't even play hardly ever, right, on this team because of how Frank wants to defend on the perimeter aggressively with our bigs. And so you know that at this point, you know what I mean? And so the whole point, you know, preseason of not signing, re-signing Jared Dudley and, you know, not necessarily bringing back guys who maybe weren't so helpful last year, like a, even a Markeith Morris, you know, like was that you wanted to have, and there was that article that came out when we didn't sign, re-sign uh, Dudley. I can't remember who wrote the article, but the point, maybe it was Bill Oram, the point was like, Genie, there's a directive from Genie that one through 15, the guys have to be able to play. Okay. And that's clearly not the case with several of the guys on our team. So at some point, again, not saying cut everybody and re-sign a whole new team, but you have to cut a couple of these guys and try to get some bodies in there that can help. You've already seen, and I don't want to hear about this, like, well, there's no one out there who can help. Stanley Johnson was sitting on his couch, you know what I mean, a couple months ago and is now starting for us. So, yes, there are guys who can help, okay? Not necessarily, again, guys who are big names, like, we're not going to get Goran Dragic. We're not going to get Tristan Thompson. To the extent either of those guys would really help this team. But we could get another Stanley Johnson, another uh, Austin Reeves, another guy who's kind of flown under the radar but can come in and hustle. We still have enough players on this team between LeBron... Uh, even Russ, uh, Malik Monk, Carmelo, like who can score the ball. We're going to be able to put up some points, but we need to have other guys on the, on the team. And even, you know, Horton Tucker, other guys on the team who can defend a little bit and hustle and do the dirty work because like, we're going to break down everybody. I mean, for, you know, LeBron's one person, but an AD's already out, but you know, we're going to, everybody's going to get run into the ground and they're all going to grow, grow to resent <laughs> each other. And it's just going to get more and more toxic. If we don't have more energy guys replacing this dead weight on the roster. Well, regardless of what we do to close this season, it seems like even LeBron James comments are aimed towards this off season and the next coming year, right? Everybody has yes. their sights set on that. So if that is the case, then you should be signing guys to hopefully retain into next season so that you can finally start to sustain some sort of continuity, something that you have not valued the last couple seasons LeBron James has been here. And so if you can even get more Stanley Johnson-esque players, even just one more, Tommy, then you can go into the offseason with the back end of your roster with some sort of continuity and young core that knows a system that has worked with Phil Handy in the off season, et cetera, et cetera. And that'll set you up better for the future and what you want to do in the off season. I'm not even saying these guys are going to be the main guys, but let's say you get a DJ Wilson or a Moses Brown to go along with Stanley Johnson. If those guys are your 13, 14, 15th men coming into next season and you have them on the cheap, we're, we're off to a much better start than what we'd had when we had this season, you know, when it's like, let's sign Avery Bradley and then DeAndre Jordan, Kent Bazemore, Trevor Ariza are, are, are 14th, 15th men, you know, and they can't even do anything because they're too old, etc. So if we are serious about trying to make noise next season and trying to right this ship, it needs to start now. And literally, Tommy, so far, nothing has been done. Like, Jack right. Squat has been done. And that's concerning to me. So really quickly to close this episode... March 1st is the deadline for players to be cut and still be playoff eligible. Anyone who's a free agent currently, anyone who's a free agent prior to March 1st can be signed all the way up until the last day of the regular season and be playoff eligible. But once guys are cut after the March 1st date, they are no longer playoff eligible. So 
I guess the Lakers still have time to see how the buyout market shakes out between now and then. But again, as I've been saying, it'll behoove them to just start signing some G League guys and young guys to see well, what they can do. And, um, yeah. And and utilize the scouting that has clearly been able to do a good job for you, you know, like over the years. I mean, Javon Carter was drafted three or four years, maybe four years ago at this point. Um, he was drafted by Memphis. He, you know, seems like a Memphis player, right? He came out of West Virginia, uh, early second round pick, I believe, was playing, you know, certainly I don't know what his uh, advanced metrics look like in the NBA, but certainly in college was known for being an elite defender. And I think that's a, to some degree translated to the NBA. This guy has not been floating around playing meaningless games. Okay. Two years ago for the Suns, he played 58 games. Last season for the number one seed, you know, Suns that ended up making that run, he played 60 out of 72 games. Yeah. He was like a small rotation player for them, but he appeared in 60 out of 72 games. He, you know, shot 37% from three on two and a half attempts a game. And again, I, from what I recall, he's a very good defender. He's also only 26 years old. Like these are the types of guys who sort of, it's like the Stanley Johnson type, right? Where mm. I, I, I don't know why Brooklyn cut this guy, frankly. I mean, I guess it's like they just, they knew they were getting Goran and the the guard depth. It was too much and they, they had no use for, for uh, Javon Carter anymore. But this guy can come in on a superstar team and, give you some hustle minutes on defense and hound guys on the perimeter. And not only can he do that now, he's 26 years old and you're ingratiating yourself with him and his representation for picking him up after being waived, you know, towards the end of the season to hopefully try to bring him back next year. I, I don't know if that would work necessarily because I think uh, you might've mentioned this to me, but he was getting paid like 4 million. This He's not maybe necessarily a minimum player. Yeah. Um, but the point is, it's like you try, you yeah, know, yeah, and that's yeah. the kind of move that you can do where it's like that potentially helps you this year. But even if it doesn't help you this year, it certainly, you know, puts you in a position to potentially help you next year. And so not everything has to be like, well, I don't want to sign DJ Wilson because uh, he's not a veteran and it, it, there's not enough time to get him up to speed. Well, I don't know. This season is sort of a wash, you know, like guys are talking about, you know, yeah, we're going to try to be competitive, especially with the vulnerability of the one and two seats with some of the injuries they're having right now. Like, I guess there's no reason to not try to, to be competitive this year, but for the most part, everyone's going to be looking to next season. And, and so the front office also has to be looking to next season and start thinking about, okay, we kind of know a, core group of guys that could be back LeBron, AD, THT, uh, Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, you know, these are, you maybe figure Kendrick Nunn, maybe all uh, opposite. So it's like you start getting six, seven guys, maybe who you can sort of see coming back. What else can we add to that? Cause you know, who knows what's going to happen with Russ in the offseason, but we, we're not going to have a ton of flexibility this off season too. So we need to start thinking about yeah. planning ahead in that respect. You need to start improving now, and you can't. You have the ability to, in a very cheap way. Well, not cheap to you because they're going to cost luxury tax, etc. Prorated luxury tax. But regardless, so how? What can we do, Tommy? I, so I have a very idealistic vision. I sent it to you, um, and I know the Lakers will 100% not do this because they're not going to cut three guys yeah. and then sign three guys. But let's just act like they are, okay? So my plan, my my personal Lakers buyout plan would be to cut three guys, and then sign one guy out of three distinct categories that I outlined. And I've also transposed or paralleled each category to a former Lakers player to more easily crystallize the template that I'm looking for. So cut three guys and sign one guy from the traditional big category, a.k.a. JaVale McGee. The tweener big category, a.k.a. Markeith Morris. The wing category, a.k.a. Kyle Kuzma. And if you remember, all three of those guys were on the championship team, right? So there's a reason why I'm using those guys as templates. So I have players that are both young and old in each category, and I want you to give me who you would pick, who you would personally pick out of any of those three categories. So in the traditional big JaVale McGee category, we have Willie Cauley-Stein, Moses Brown, Robin Lopez, Gorgie Dang, DeMarcus Cousins, who just finished his second 10-day with the Denver Nuggets, and now they have to decide whether or not to sign him for the rest of the season, and then Greg Monroe. 
out of the traditional big category that I just outlined, Willie Cauley-Stein, Moses Brown, Robin Lopez, Gorgie Dang, DMC, Monroe, some of these guys haven't been bought out yet and may not get bought out, but I'm just anticipating. Out of those guys, who would ideally, for your vision, if you were fantasy GMing this, who would you pick as the traditional big guy? So I would probably, if I if it was me... I would probably go Willie Cauley-Stein or Moses Brown. Mm -hmm. I think like either of those guys, again, it's sort of potentially helpful this year as a vertical threat, but also, you know, especially in the case of Moses Brown, somebody who you might be able to retain for next year, uh, certainly. But other guys I think are like maybe more typical, like what LA might, you know, classically look at, particularly now that like the dust has settled on AD and everybody knows he's going to miss the rest of the season. Like, I could see them doing a Robin Lopez or a DMC or Monroe type of sign, especially Monroe type of signing, <laughs> yep. um, you know, just because it's like, well, get another guy who could score on the post. Um, but I, I just feel like none of those guys this year or next year really move the needle for yeah. us. Um, so I would stay away. Yeah, there's no upside. For me, number one would be Moses Brown. And then Willie Cauley-Stein, like you said, would sort of be like a happy medium to appease the front office because it's like, all right, you like name guys and guys who have been in the league. There you go, Willie Cauley-Stein, right? But he's had personal issues. We're not sure what he's dealing with. Um, so what about the tweener big category, the Markeith Morris category? I have in this category DJ Wilson, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who's going to star in LeBron James' Spring Hill new, new movie or whatever. Uh, I think it's Spring Hill Productions. <laughs> have, you, have you seen that trailer with Adam Sandler, by the way? I haven't watched it, but I, I've, I've seen like pieces of it. Okay, so Juancho Hernan Gomez is the Ray Allen He's Got Gay main star, but throughout the entire trailer, spoiler alert, he literally says no lines. It's just Adam Sandler talking the entire time, <laughs> and you never hear Juancho Hernan Gomez talk. Regardless, DJ Wilson... Juancho Hernan Gomez, Tyler Bay, Mike Scott, James Johnson. The Nets cut Javon Carter, but they also have to decide whether or not to make Kessler Edwards, a two-way guy, a regular standard contract so he's playoff eligible. And if they do that, they'll have to cut another guy. So it's either James Johnson, Blake Griffin, whatever. So again, DJ Wilson, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Tyler Bay, Mike Scott, James Johnson. You're like number one pick if you had to pick one out of these guys and then who you think the front office would pick. So I don't, I don't know. I don't personally love any of these guys. I guess like the two intriguing names are Tyler Bay and, and DJ Wilson, mm-hmm. um, especially because especially DJ Wilson has been like tearing it up and, you know, yep. and, and making a lot of noise for himself, but I don't love any of them. Um, if the Lakers were choosing from this list, I assume they would choose James Johnson. Which actually wouldn't be bad. I, it wouldn't so, be bad. So I'll yeah, say yeah. this. For any of these, if the Lakers choose any of these guys, it wouldn't be bad because it means they're doing something. <laughs> so that's yeah, the sad part yeah. about all this. I think for my like who the Lakers would choose, my best pick would be Mike Scott because he literally is Markeith Morris to me. And he can get hot from three and really space the floor for you. And he can muck it up in the paint. My number one would obviously be DJ Wilson, but I am also very intrigued by Juancho Hernan Gomez. I'm just not sure. He's only 26, by the way. I'm just not sure if he's good defensively. But there you go. That's my pick for the tweener big category. And then lastly, Tommy, here's the wing category. Um, the Kyle Kuzma category. We've got Casey Akpala, Robert Woodard, and Al Farouk Amino is flying out there. We got James Ennis, Glenn Robinson the third, et cetera, et cetera. But out of that crop of guys, Casey Akpala, Robert Woodard, Aminu, all right, GR3, James Ennis, who would you pick? I guess Rondé Hollis Jefferson is out there too, but who would you pick? And then who do you think the Lakers would pick, even though we know they're not going to sign someone? So this one, again, Casey Akpala was a high second round pick a couple years ago, maybe three years ago at this point. Um he is from Southern California. He fills that like sort of tweener wing. Like he could guard threes and fours. He's got good size. Like it just like height wise fills a very obvious need on this roster and youth and athleticism need on this roster. And so I think I, he's the one who kind of interests me the most, Mm -hmm. but I can understand him a little bit more, you know, not wanting to be like, okay, well, now we're 24 games in the season. How are we possibly going to, like, integrate this 22-year-old? But from that list, that's the one that's most intriguing to me. And, you know, to the extent one of these, including the names you, you know, otherwise said, who I don't think all those guys are available, 
you know, I guess what I'm saying is I think the Lakers would probably take somebody more like Aminu um, yeah, yeah. with this, uh, which again, it's still not bad if, <laughs> if that means we're, we don't have to deal with DeAndre taking up a spot anymore. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I'm the same way. I, I would want to take a shot at Casey Akpala. His length is so intriguing. And then also Robert Woodard too, because he has like an NBA ready body. He can play the four. He is so sturdily built and so strong that it's someone that you could develop and it's physical clay that you could work on this off season that could help you out, help you out next season. So yeah, we don't think the Lakers are going to cut three guys and sign three guys. The best we can hope for at this point is just get DJ Wilson, just get Moses Brown, just give us one guy, just cut DeAndre Jordan. And that'll show us some movement in the right direction. Um, but Tommy, uh, for the last minute of the show, just your thoughts on Anthony Davis and, um, when the injury happened, were you just like, well, of course, <laughs> or were you devastated? Do you yeah. think it was career ending? And then your outlook on the season because of his injury? Uh, I mean, look, it's sad to say this outlook on the season actually is not that much change. Yeah. Because even if he was healthy, I don't know that this team was really going anywhere. I don't think it's career ending. I mean, the weird thing with ADA's injuries is like, he has done this before where he has like gone down and it looked like he tore his ACL and the season's over. He did it three it or four like, times this season. So he's, yeah. And then he's like back in the second half and you're like, wait, what? You know? So it's like, I kind of, it didn't really process. I didn't really process it. Then when they said the midfoot sprain, you know, when I saw the replays, I was like, okay, this is really bad. When I saw the midfoot, they said there was no break. I was kind of surprised when they said it's a midfoot sprain. And they said, like, reevaluate in four weeks. I was like, okay, there's five weeks or whatever left left in the six weeks left in the season. So if they're reevaluating him in four weeks, that means he's probably out for the season. Um, At this point, there's no competitive advantage to just saying he's out for the season. So why not be a little bit ambiguous about it? Um, I think AD gets a lot of flack for his injuries that I think is a little bit unwarranted. I, you know, he's so in the spotlight with him. Charles Barkley like calls him street clothes and stuff, yeah. which I think is is unfair. AD has played more a higher percentage of the games in his career than like Kawhi Leonard and many other NBA Jimmy stars. Butler, yeah, Jimmy Butler. I mean, it's like a lot, dude. It you know, Joel Embiid missed the first entire two first seasons of his career, okay? And then every single season since then has missed 20 games a year. Except for this year might be the first year he misses under 20. When you look at like a bunch of KD missed two years ago, obviously missed the whole season with the Achilles. Last year he missed half the season and he's on pace to miss about half the season again this year. Um, You can go down the list. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns a couple years ago missed half the year and is is a lot younger, you know? There are very few exceptions to this rule that these, like, long, athletic, bigger guys, like over 6'8", with with length, just tend to get hurt a lot more than other other guys. And I think it's obvious. Like, you just look at this injury that AD had. Malik Monk threw him a pass. And I'm not blaming anybody, by the way. But Malik Monk, th- I just like, just saying this is objectively what happened. Malik Monk threw him a pass that, like, he would not even try throwing just 95% of the guys in the NBA. It was so far off the mark. It was, like, completely insane. He just threw the ball up in the air as high as he could. But AD physically has the capability to jump up and get that. Like, imagine that play, exact same play happens, and Malik lobs the ball up there, and the intended recipient is Jokic. The dude is not even going to jump off the floor to try to get it. You know what I mean? But AD is so big, and he's so athletic, and he puts himself in these risky positions that I think, you know, the injuries are just more likely to happen. It is unfortunate because other than that year where new Orleans benched him, which by the way, if they didn't bench him, he wouldn't have missed 20 games. He had never missed 20 games on the season, his entire career. His health was actually not that bad considering the kind of way that he played his two seasons, that last season and this season with the Lakers are by far the worst injury seasons of his career. Okay, and so I just think it, it's it's really unfortunate. It's really bad luck. All that said, though, like, and I know you weren't asking this, but I'm not. I know, but I know some fans are thinking it. I'm certainly not ready to write them off. It just it is what it is with a player like this. Like, you have to take the good with the bad, and you just have to keep your fingers crossed and pray that he is going to be healthy going into the playoffs. That's all you can do because. 
all of these guys, these big guys like 6'8", 6'9", and bigger um, who are super athletic, they're all super, super injury prone. And especially a guy like AD who is not as much like a Paul George or a KD or a Jimmy Butler where he's playing more on the perimeter. Um, He is getting, you know, he's in the paint where things are getting really mucked up. And it it's just the, you know, this stuff is going to happen. This was a freak injury. Um, and unless you have like an actual freak like Giannis, you're, you just kind of have to deal with this kind of stuff um, over the course of a season. But in terms of prospects for the rest of the year, I feel like this essentially changes nothing. The only thing it makes me worried about is LeBron trying to go so supernova to like carry this team into the playoffs that he causes injury for himself. Yeah. I know like everybody wants to say this is it for LeBron in the LeBron AD window, but LeBron can still be a top five to 10 player in the NBA next season. Um, and I don't want him to, I think we're going to force, fortunately for him, we'll probably have a long off season, but I, I don't want him to, you know, create some sort of long-term injury that is going to keep him impacted, you know, in the, in the future, because I think ultimately he will be here for at least two more years. Yeah. And I think his, his comments over the weekend and recently talking about how his knee is not going to get better until he rested in the off season already point to him looking towards the off season and, you made this comment before, but LeBron has always been really good about reading the room, assessing the situation, engaging what he has to do. And I don't think they're going to push for much out of this break, especially if, you know, if the inaction front office wise is any indication, I don't think on all fronts, they're going to do much. And to your point, we don't write 80 off, but I think they should actually, even if he can come back in the last week or two of the regular season to play in the play in, I hope they kind of just lie and continue to be very vague about the injury because someone mentioned it, but Anthony Davis has suffered six lower extremity injuries in the last year alone, even if some of them weren't like, you know, six to eight weekers. But that's a lot of compounding, injury compounding for a big man like AD. And a lot of that has to do also with like the bubble and, and what's what's happened with the shortened off seasons in the last two years, the pandemic, et cetera. And I just don't think they should push it and they should really, really give him like a full off season. And to your point about, you know, the unfairness being thrust upon Anthony Davis and the street clothes and whatever, and how he's really only been super injury prone in the last two or three years since he's become a Laker. I actually think a large part of that is mental because of the media, because of the fans who are pushing for him to play the five, for the fans who want him to bulk up and beef up. I think... AD has been trying to service all of those things, you know, and has been in his head a little bit. And if he had just continued to do what he did with the New Orleans Pelicans, I don't think he'd be in the situation he's been in. Also exacerbated again by the fact of the shortened bubble season and the quick turnaround with that, getting injured last season and then having to jump back into this season, et cetera, et cetera. But I think there's a there's a mental component here and a, a mental pressure component that's coming from the outside, outside noise that I think has affected Anthony Davis. And I hope moving forward, he kind of silences that white noise and just goes back to who he is. You know what I'm saying? You, you'll never avoid like these freak injuries for sure, but he shouldn't continue to let that frustrate him mentally he he just needs to do what he's been doing and hopefully we can you know right the ship here with him physically and mentally etc etc moving forward all right with that said that'll do it tommy by the way javon carter is signing with the milwaukee bucks i don't know if you saw that but (laughs) there you go um and uh yeah so we'll see what the lakers do after that with that said we will cut it here uh we'll catch you guys next time the lakers play on friday and we're Back to it to close this season out strong. Hooray. All right. uh, I will catch you guys later. Tommy, see ya. Peace. Later.